Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, the number one album on nearly every ranked list. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Micaiah, what do we need to know? about the album Rolling Stone considers to be the greatest album of all time. I mean, what is there to say? I mean, that 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 should speak for itself, right? I mean, it, it was always in the top 10 in the 2003 and the 2012 list. Um, and then for, for 2020, right, it topped Sgt. Pepper and became the number one album of all time. Um, and we were talking about lists and list making with, with Brad effort. And he was saying, yeah, you know, for a, he, that he's a strong believer that a list should represent music. Um, and it should represent the time. And, you know, you should be able to look at when a list is making, be like, yeah, this makes sense for this time. You know what I mean? Like what, what's speaking to that time period. And I think that come on, uh, coming out of 2020, I mean, yeah, I think what's going on is pretty, a uh, pretty good choice for say like yeah this is the album that speaks to us the most today um yeah so i and, and that's probably going to be the big question well actually you know it didn't really get challenged i don't think i think when people saw it it was just kind of like yeah yeah that makes sense and and for our listeners and this is this is really incredible if you do a simple wikipedia search on every album we have done this season the the collection of accolades that have been given the list of accolades given to what's going on is longer by three times than any other album we have talked about this season. And this isn't just a recent thing. I know it's easy to look at the 2020 Rolling Stone list and that ranking of number one and going, Oh, well, it's just recently that they're ranked this album. Number one in 1997, the Guardian ranked this the best album of all time. In 1985, NME ranked this the best album of all time. In 2005, The New Nation represented the, said this was the number one album of all time. In, in uh, 2009, Sounds Magazine in Germany said this was the number one album of all time. In 1988, Rock Deluxe from Spain said this is the best album of all time. I mean, you, you can go across the world, you can go to any time period, and it is pretty unanimous that this is the best or among a very few albums that have ever been considered the best album ever made. Yeah. And I mean, they're right to think so. I mean, we're, we're talking about an incredible album and you don't really see people challenging it. I mean, when when Sgt. Pepper was number one in twenty on the twenty twelve list, people were like, "Well, I don't even know if that's the best Beatles record, let alone the best album of all time." And everyone had these kinds of opinions. But with this one, it's not like, eh, "Well, I don't know." I, I here, my dear, is a pretty good Marvin Gaye album. Maybe you know, I don't think anyone would say that what's going on isn't even the best Marvin Gaye album. I mean, I think this is pretty far and away his best album um i think it's the best album from his label potentially even um only competitors would be what we talked about earlier the that stevie wonder run 
Um, but I, I, I put this above Intervisions and Songs in the Key of Life, both the albums that we talked about specifically, uh, personally. Um, yeah, so I get, maybe that's what people are going to expect from us, is, is to kind of ask that question. Um, does this deserve to be number one on the Rolling Stone list? Um, and that's a good question. Rob, what do you, what do you think? What's your response to seeing that? So, you know, one of the things that we did talk about with Brad Efford and one of the things that I I think is such an appropriate change that was made from the 2003 to the 2020 Rolling Stone lists is that in 2020, in, in in the process of compiling that list, they did a much better job attempting to have a more diverse, intentionally more diverse collection of voices that we're going to put that list together in Rolling Stone for all of the things that we love and hate about them. Rolling Stone does have the tendency to be quite self-congratulatory in, in their rankings historically. And, and part of that's because Rolling Stone was really a crucial, I mean, Rolling Stone magazine is a, force in the world of music and particularly rock music for the better part of the last 60, 70 years. And so what that means is, is that there is a lot of artists that were, that were really uh, broken into the mainstream by their first cover appearance on Rolling Stone magazine. And so in the 2003 list, there's a whole lot of artists that Rolling Stone seems to be patting themselves on the back and going, Hey, we, we, we introduced the world to this guy. We introduced the world to this band. We introduced the world to them mm-hmm. and then giving maybe more recognition than was necessary to those artists. And not surprisingly, most of those artists were overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white, um, overwhelmingly representative of just one genre of music, which is rock and roll. And so I, I think that expanding the pool of people that you're asking in the 2020 list reveals that this Marvin Gaye album, which was ranked number six in 2003. It's not like this was an album that was ranked outside of the top 10, even in in 2003, this was a top 10 album. But I think expanding that pool of the people you're asking is, is a clearer way to understand, Oh, this is an album that is, I think deservedly. So the number one album, so it's not, it's not my favorite album. But if I was going to say, what is the greatest album of all time? There would only be two or three other albums that were even in this discussion with what's going on. And so I I think this is deservedly so the number one album on the Rolling Stone list. And I think, I think deserves to be there. And I I have no qualms with it being there, but for our listeners, I do want to let you know, if you have listened to our introductory episode where we shared our list, what you will know is quite famously, this was the album I forgot on my original list. So the the podcast title, You Forgot One, in many ways is referring to this album, that when we put these lists together, what did I forget? I forgot Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. So this is the only album we're going to talk about this year that was not mentioned 
on my top 50 that we mentioned in episode one. Well, that's not true either because you switched your slide picks. That's true too. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's let's this. So famously, this is this is famously this is the album that I forgot. But Makai was was generous and was willing to let me include it, despite the fact that I had forgotten it this season. And so we are including this album, Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On," for this season. And to talk about this album, we're going to talk about some of the realities of Marvin Gaye's life and Marvin Gaye's really kind of tragic life. Marvin Gaye was the son of a Pentecostal pastor who um, was by all definitions abusive, abusive in a way that as much as you hate to say it was somewhat the norm during that period of time. And in that generation he was a part of, but was, was no less abusive. Um, And struggled with mental health, struggled with drug addiction, um, went through two failed marriages. Uh, Really, this is, this is the difficult and sometimes heartbreaking story of Marvin Gaye, but Marvin Gaye's faith in his relationship to his minister father played a huge role in his life and maybe never more prevalently as we, as we see on this album, that what's going on is the clearest picture of Marvin Gaye's faith that we really see on any of his albums. And in many ways, this album is a sermon kind of functions as a sermon that the message of this album is a message that Marvin Gaye is trying to communicate. And so today for our guest, we've invited a pastor to come on and talk about the sermon of what's going on. So we have my friend, Pastor Tommy Rogers of the Bethlehem Baptist Church in Palatka, Florida. Uh, Tommy is a graduate of Morehouse College in Atlanta and uh, has been a pastor in Putnam County, Florida for about nine years And I'm excited for you to hear our conversation with him about the faith of Marvin Gaye and about the social struggles that were going on in 1971 and that are still going on today that inform this album. So we're going to take a break. We're going to let you hear from our independent record store of the week and let you listen to a message from our sponsor, Anchor. And then we'll be back with my friend, the Reverend Tommy Rogers. I'm so excited to share with you our independent record store of the week, Motown's own People's Records. This is our favorite record shop in Detroit, Michigan. People's Records is located at 1464 Gratoit Ave in Detroit, Michigan, 48207. Their store hours are Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., and they're open 11 to 4 p.m. on Sundays. 
You can find their selection and order from them at peoplesdetroit.com. So if you're in the Michigan area, you want to check out People's Records. If you are looking for a taste of Motown, perhaps you're wanting to pick up a vinyl copy of this week's album, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, you can do so at peoplesdetroit.com. everybody i'm um tommy rogers i'm um down in palatka florida um north central florida i would guess was what we call this i pastor a church in palatka bethlehem baptist church Woo-hoo, bethlehem uh giving a shout out on the podcast um i've been down here as rob just mentioned uh close to nine years now in the lovely palatka area we moved down here a year after i started pastoring here and have been here ever since uh enjoying it and um well well tommy let's let's start here yes what was your introduction how did you first get turned on to to marvin gay and and then to this album to what's going on uh, it, it's interesting um my mom um my mom had so many records coming up um she she had all the 45s that you could imagine a couple albums and then my brother and sister they would bring albums home so i would just kind of um i guess being a um a tinkerer I started uh, playing around with their uh, record player. And I don't know if uh, anyone's watching this as old as I am, but we had one of the console record players. Uh, It was a console. It had the television in the center, which stopped working long before everything else stopped working. Um, Eventually got to the place where dad bought a television and sat on top of the television. (laughs) Um, and it had inside, it had the eight track that you could put in the eight track and it had the record player. And that's what I remember most of um, playing mom's um, 45s on. And uh, I just go through and of course, Marvin Gaye was certainly one of them. So, um, but I, I've, I've, I've loved Marvin Gaye. Um, in fact, if, to be funny, it, it, it always kind of reminds me, and I think Spike Lee mentioned that this might have been the impetus for his um, uh, Gator character in Jungle Fever um, with uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Davis playing the dad that, that shot him and the whole deal with how Marvin's life ended. It, it kind of uh, put that into mind, but just, just knowing the, the arc of Marvin Gaye, too, has been very instrumental. So I've been turned on to Marvin Gaye. Uh, since I was a, you know, uh, uh, ankle biter, but the more and more I got into his music, I really enjoyed where he's coming from and, and what's going on being turned on to that, um, it, it, revisiting it now lets me really understand that I, I really knew it before I knew it. And uh, it, it's, it spoke then so strongly. I think it's probably one of the best anthems for the late 60s, early 70s. But looking at today, I think Marvin could have <laughs> penned this uh, day before yesterday and it still would have just a strong amount of power as it has right now. Do you think Do you think that's part of the reason as people have appraised this album over the last 50 years that 
that it keeps going through these cycles where what's going on keeps coming back and topping lists over and over again over the last 50 years is is that reality that while this is an album that is so present in that early 70s time period there is a timelessness to this album that makes it just as powerful today sadly enough rob and to get into social commentary (laughs) the sad thing about it is that that should have been the end of it what's going on it should have been the end of the issues that we were dealing with uh back then but i think what's what's uh, the most disheartening is the fact that um these things haven't been resolved i think marvin was a very sensitive character um you know we often think of marvin as a sensual artist what's going on sexual healing all those songs i'm sorry let's get it on not what's going on <laughs> let's get it on sexual healing and all of those songs so you kind of those are the songs that people play mostly of marvin today um but going back marvin was a very sensitive character sensitive to um what was going on around him and how he felt about it and i think um that sensitivity is i think we probably have the 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 most i don't know i guess it's hardest now to really find individuals with that but i see uh, even in today there is a re a rekindling of even that sensitivity mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry brother 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 there's far too many of you die you know we about this album that that sets it apart and in sets it apart not just from marvin gaye's other work but sets it apart from other r&b and soul artists of that time a a a, a few things three things i really really uh, set it apart from um not just marvin's other work but uh all everything that was going on back then um let me let me just give a little context i came up um Early '90s was my time period for my for my music. Uh, of course, a lot of that was hip hop, and I came up during the Public Enemy, X Clan, uh, that that social sense of um, rap music at the time. Even going to um, uh, all of the uh, BDP and all of that, those, those types of uh, there was a social 
uh, stream that existed in rap at that time. You had that, and then that died out because um, pretty much the gangster rap came in and kind of took that over. But I came up during that time frame, um, and it and it seems like that's what was the sense that Marvin was dealing with even though there weren't that many people out talking about the necessarily social issues during that time, you know, Stevie wonder would have his and everyone would have theirs coming up. Um, but um, it, it, it seems as if it was a, um, in fact, I'll even go back to this point since he's one of his contemporaries um, in the, um, in the movie uh, one night in Miami, um, is portrayed that Sam Cook said, uh, how could this brother, uh, white brother, Bob Dylan, um, put out a song blowing in the wind, uh, talking about the plight of, of, of the world with such soul. Uh, and, um, I, I think that sense was there. The only, the, the problem is in the social context, um, the early 70s to the mid 70s um, was, I believe, when those thoughts that were really going to make a change in the world and, and, and make the change that came out of the 60s sustainable, um, we, we, we lost our way. Uh, so this is really one of the last anthems to what the idea, uh, you know, the ideals that came out of uh, the great society that was expected to come out of the 60s. Um, after this, you don't see too much social issues until, you know, in my opinion, I come down to the, uh, mid, the, the mid to late 80s, early 90s with the hip hop um, revolution. So that, that's one of the key things that, that, that I see is a change uh, that makes this stand out. Um, not to mention just musically, uh, we talked about it. It flows like an opera. There are movements more than songs. These, 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 these are nine movements because you hear the same uh, stream go through all of the songs. It's kind of like it's even the same background music with just maybe words changed and, and, and top level um, uh, melodies slip in to show a difference between the songs. But they're uh, if you were to hear the introduction, you you really don't know what song's coming up. Whether or not we know it, and he'll forgive all our sins, and all he has of us, is we give each other love. Oh yeah, love your mother, she bore you, love your father, love your sister. The musicality of this. Uh, is there and it also kind of makes you think that I'm like did Marvin sit down and write all of these in one sitting and not to mention again like I said what's going on um, Mercy Mercy Me Inner City Blues uh, these songs just really speak to where we were but he also has a strong 
uh, religious theme in here. His his relationship with with God is in here and God is love and holy, holy and save the children. Um, it, it just seems like he was really trying to put some, put his heart out um, into into the ether. Um, and I think he did an excellent job of this. I think this is probably more Marvin than the commercial Marvin that came in the eighties or even the sixties. I mean, this is far and away from heard it through the grapevine. It takes two. I mean, this is a very different side of Marvin. I mean, not, not just sexual healing, which comes off his last album. And it's kind of like the, like, you know, the in film, they say you're only as good as your last movie. You know, of course, sexual healing gets him his first two Grammys, his only two Grammys, and it's his you know last big hit. And so that's Marvin, you know, in, in popular consciousness. Like that's how we remember him as used to like the sensual sexual guy. But I, I agree with you that I think that what's going on is kind of the first time we get the peek behind the curtain of this sensitive person who had enlisted in the Air Force and then just like could not get behind it and had to leave. So he faked having a mental illness. Um, though what we know about him is that he did have mm. um, potentially a lot of mental illness. Um, a lot of he, he three or four times in his life tried to uh, commit suicide, either through drugs or gun violence or jumping out of speeding cars. Yeah. You know, so th- this is a very sensitive man. Uh, who is often, I think, you know, it sees the world ar- around him and is very empathic and is just crying out for help for himself. Um, his brother, literally his brother, who is mentioned in the record um, mm-hmm. after he comes back from Vietnam and, you know, the society, I mean, being someone from Detroit who has seen riots in Detroit in the last few years and the Watts riot in 65, which was um, the big impactful moment for him. Yeah. I think it all comes down kind of here in this moment, kind of in the middle of his career that he never hadn't done before and, and doesn't really come back to either. I think it's a, I think it's also a part of where the world was too. You could see in the early sixties, the Motown movement, uh, he was a part of that. He was, he did a lot of writing for, uh, other artists as well. And, and, uh, artists have come in and, and, you know, kind of covered his music as well in, in the Motown area. But, but that's where we were. It was the, you know, uh, getting your voice out there, making a way for yourself, um, through the music. And then you see this, this, this move just what, three years after, uh, Martin Luther King. And of course the results of that, it was the riots in Detroit and Detroit never was the same after that. Uh, what was burnt was never rebuilt that shift, uh, through the seventies, uh, kind of a down, uh, downward trend after this for Marvin until he resurfaced, um, in the, in the eighties. Um, but you see, it was also just the times that we lived in. And I think Marvin was a reflection of the time. Uh, but this album here is, is a image of who he was as well and, and how the times affected him. And again, coming back to where we are now. Hey, baby, what you know good? I'm just getting back, but you knew I would. War is hell. When will it end? 
When will people start getting together again? Are things really getting better? Like the newspapers say. What else is new, my friend? Besides what I read. Can't find no work, can't find no job, my friend. Money is tighter than it's ever been. Say, man, I just don't understand what's going on across this land. Oh, what's happening, brother? Yeah. What's happening? What's happening, my let me ask two questions because in, in these are questions I'm asking both to Makai and, and Adami. Like you said, Marvin Gaye has an incredible ability for songwriting. He is, I mean, he's the songwriter of half of the Temptations hits for Motown. He, he wrote, he wrote huge songs for other artists on Motown. Um, he essentially, he made Barry Gordy a whole lot of money. And yet, Barry Gordy. And I think, I think recognizing that he was, his goal ultimately was to be successful and to make money and the market to make the most money in Barry Gordy's mind was to essentially cross over and have artists that were successful with white audiences. And so there was an expectation of respectability. Hey, write songs about the girls you love or about the relationship or about how they, you know, but it, it couldn't be political. And in really for as political as the sixties were Motown doesn't really release any overtly political music in the sixties. It's not who they are. Marvin Gaye wants to do this album. And so uh, without Barry Gordy know about it, they, they press a hundred thousand copies of the single what's going on. Those sell so quickly that Barry Gordy essentially agrees to let him do the album, but he will only pay for 10 days for him to write and record this album. And so you were talking about how it, it feels like, Hey, did this, know that. Did, did he, did he write all this all at one time? There's, there's a good chance he really did. I mean, there's really a good chance that these were just the movements he had. He knew he liked his music and let's build, build that into it. But he, he essentially records the album in a 10 day period of time it becomes the first, I mean, overtly political album for Motown. And with the exception of some individual tracks we see later on, uh, on, on some Stevie Wonder albums, it really remains the only overtly start to finish politically charged or socially consciously charged album that Motown ever releases. And I almost wonder, as you think about the struggle that Marvin Gaye had to find some success after this album is released in the seventies. Cause he does, he goes through a down period after this, after you get an opportunity to finally say those things that you're thinking, if you're a sensitive person, like, like Marvin Gaye, and you finally get an opportunity to say the things you're really thinking, you're really struggling with, and you're, and you're really wrestling with, how can then you, how can you then go back to, you know, essentially writing doo-wop songs for other people? I mean, how, how, once you've, once you've gone to that mountaintop, how do you, how do you go on to something else again? And, and do you, do you think that plays a role in, in really the fact that Marvin Gaye never produces another album quite like this or, or even content like this again, the rest of his career? 
<sighs> yeah. That's the hard part about peaking early. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you said so many things that I want to touch on before you even got to ask the question. This is the first openly political album. And for Marvin, the only kind of thing that they let slide in Motown before this was his album that came out in 1970. And it's a cover. Uh, maybe that's why he got away with it called Abraham, Martin, and John about Lincoln and MLK and John Kennedy, President Kennedy. Um, so and that came out in 1970. And also uh, The Temptations, um, their album, I think it's Cloud Nine in 1969 or 1970. And, and their big single they had was um, Ball of Confusion, which was also responding to, to Vietnam and the uh, assassinations because RFK and Martin Luther King Jr. were shot in the same year, you know, so that it was, it was about to burst even in Motown, right? These artists, they, they couldn't get away with it. And Barry Gordy was very moderate. Um, you, I would even say conservative. Um, one of the big turning points, the subtle turning points of this record is the cover. Um, mm -hmm. And that is that Marvin Kaye has a beard. Mm -hmm. For Motown, that's uh, borderline audacious. You know, you have to be clean shaven. You have to be respectable. You have to look presentable, right? Um, he looks sad um, to some nervous white people, maybe intimidating, who knows well, with those folks. Um, so this, this does not look like a Motown record. It's not him and, you know, and uh, Tammy Terrell smiling together on the cover. Yeah, so yeah, so there, there are a lot of subtle shifts here there are a lot of overt shifts here obviously by the time you put the record on but he he tries to to keep this going um he has another single come out called you're the man that does all right um and that's a very that's a very political song <laughs> like the, like the hook is like you gotta vote like <laughs> like it's very political and that's where and barry gory put a line in the sand he was like i'm not i'm not putting out that album and it only came out like two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the single came out, but they but they shelved the record, and so he did the score for the movie Trouble Man, the black exploitation film, mm -hmm. um, which is a great record um, and the great single that came out. And then he goes back to kind of his old ways. He slips into the well. Then I'll do Let's Get It On and Come Get to This and Distant Lover, and he teams up. Um, you know, Tim Terrell's tragically passed away at this point but he teams up with another you know juggernaut diana ross and they do an album together and then he goes back to the sensual and does the album i want you and then he gets divorced and then a wild album comes out called here my dear which is a double lp hold on i want to pull up some song titles from this because <laughs> this is just like the meanest album I mean, you, you just, people talk about Blood on the Tracks being a divorce album. This is a divorce album. Track one on side three, When Did You Stop Loving Me? When Did I Stop Loving You? Followed by Anger. And there's another one on side four that's great. You can leave, but it's going to cost you. <laughs> For the record, this is, this is his wife, Anna Gordy, the sister of Motown record owner, Barry Gordy. And co-writer for a lot of his uh, famous songs. But, Rob, to, to get to my main point, based off what you asked, um, the closest he gets to what's going on 
is an album that actually comes out in 1981 called In Our Lifetime. Mm. It was originally supposed to have a question mark in our lifetime. And this is where Pentecostal raised Marvin Gaye comes out. This is where he starts using apocalyptic imagery. I mean, you can look at the cover. It almost speaks for itself. I think he's like depicted as both like uh, an angel and a demon on the cover. Uh, they look like they're in a chess match potentially, but mm-hmm. there, there, there's a lot of stuff in there that's very apocalyptic and, and pulling a lot of images um, from the Bible. So, and it bombs. I mean, it totally tanks. I think it's one of his most interesting records. Um, but then of course, when it tanks, he goes to midnight love, sexual mm-hmm. healing, um, which is also partially revolutionary, uh, revolutionary in that he, uh, embraces the 808 drum beats mm-hmm. you know in 1982 and so very heavy in that and of course that comes to dominate the sound of the 80s and for the next 10 years into in, in hip-hop you know so yeah yes his career dips but it it's not a strict decline i mean let's get it on obviously is great i think the diana ross album did well he tours again Tammy Terrell passed out on stage in his arms and they found out that she had a brain tumor. And then after she passed away long after, uh, shortly after that, he would never, he couldn't go on stage again. Um, so in this time he's actually able to go on stage again and puts out two live records that are pretty incredible. Um, if you're a Marvin Gaye fan, then you, you, you will like them because there's a lot of Marvin Gaye on them, but yeah. So he, he, he robbed to get back to where you were asking, he does try to get there and Barry Gordy won't allow it. He tries to get there again and the critics and fans don't allow it because, well, it turns out they really liked Let's Get It On. You know, so, yeah, and this is this goes into the biographical stuff that we know about him. You know, he starts getting heavy, you know, cocaine usage and bad relationship with his father. You know, this is all the, you know, all the tragic stuff starts to make sense a little bit more. talk about the album cover um uh even in addition to the beard is the um the the low afro too um red fox would say the conkaline uh, <laughs> uh because um the process here even though marvin never really had that he always had a little fro uh but the and, and i think looking at the uh album cover it, it's also kind of makes me think of looking into the future the way he's Mm -hmm. looking Mm -hmm. but his eyes seem to be looking to the future but his mouth is slightly agape and it's kind of like there's almost a grimace Mm -hmm. to say what's coming you know not just what's going on right now but where are we headed in the what's going on just the look on his face is kind of like when you 
It's kind of like when someone says something that is absolutely ridiculous and that's the kind of look that he has on his face. Is, really? Is that is that what you mean to say? Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of get a sense of when I see that album cover. Um, it's it's looking because he's looking slightly up. Um, the angle of his eyes looks like he's looking up to the horizon and he's like, I don't like what I see or I'm puzzled, perplexed by what I see. And then he he has a raincoat on and he's in the rain. And um, that also is something to say that the situation is, is an uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. And seeing all of these things come together in this in this album cover, um, it, it, it is not a typical um, Motown album cover, definitely. Um, and and it, it really does speak to uh, the times that 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 um, that we were in back then. I was well, we I was three years old, but <laughs> the times that we were in. Um, but it, it, it was a scary, scary bit of a time, even though um, I don't know where we were with that, even in relation to. Um, I don't think Watergate had kicked off yet, but uh, all the things that we had talked about through the um, Johnson administration had just been uh, reversed by the Nixon administration. And um, but it seemed like, too, that those that fought um, for civil rights had turned around and uh, the fight had stopped once, um, you know, we buried Martin and. Um, it's 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 something uh one of the things i do want to mention i don't know if it's in 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 what we're going to talk about um i think mercy mercy me is is such a strong song for 1971 Mm. i i i i I can't wrap my mind around that being on marvin's mind the ecology (laughs) the environment Mm -hmm. And um, him saying what's going on at that point in time. And now we're 50 years later. And we're seeing floods in Germany. We're seeing fires in the West. We're seeing 100 degree weather in the (laughs) northern Pacific area. And, And we're still not making the moves towards um the mercy mercy me mm-hmm. and it's still it's still a question it's still an issue there's still people that deny that um our actions are affecting it and if we would have started listen if we would have listened to marvin 50 years ago where would we be today
underground and in the sky Animals and birds who live nearby are lies Mercy, mercy, me. All things and what they use is to be. What about this overcrowded land? How much more be used from men? Can't you stand? So let me ask that. That's that's an appropriate time to ask this question. So. Tommy, you're a pastor. You are a pastor in the tradition of the 20th century black church. And it is the same environment that, that birthed a minister's son in Marvin Gaye. That being said, how does this minister's son, who is clearly someone with a deep faith that he wrestles with and wrestles with in ways, like you said, even in mercy, mercy me, where he sees a responsibility to the environment because of his faith, not only is what's going on the most overtly socially or political, uh, socio-political album of Marvin Gaye's career. It also might be the only album that essentially functions as a sermon. Help, help us understand what is the message of what's going on? What is what is this sermon that he is preaching? And what do we need to understand about his background and the kind of church he would have come up in and what he would have seen and witnessed there in the 50s and 60s coming up in a church like that? What is it that that is informing the sermon that he is giving us and what's going on? Wow, that's a that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I, I well, to look at the um, makeup of of sermons in my in my uh, tradition, um, there's always an introduction to grab the attention of the congregation. Um, we build the story by coming to um, what the problem statement is or the relevant question. Uh, is that the sermon is supposed to attempt to address, uh, if not find an answer in scripture. Um, There has to be uh, not just information, but inspiration as a part of the sermon. Um, And and this is actually probably more of a, um, I think kind of more of a sermon series because he does have the highlights of the issues that are primarily affecting his community. So he, he, he gets you with what's going on, the, the relevant question of the day. What, what's, what's really happening? What, what are we dealing with? Um, and, and, and then he kind of touches the individual by, by the what's happening brother uh, to the relationship that we're all in this together. What's, what's, what's not just what's going on macro, what's going on micro with you, brother. Um, a little inspiration with flying high in the friendly skies, which to certainly to be as a um, <laughs> uh, kind of an allegory there. <laughs> Uh, because of the times that they were in, um, tail end of Hyde Ashbury and all of that, certainly there was a lot of friendly skies going on in the, in the early 70s. Um, but then he goes into now the next series. The, 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 I've got you. Now let's talk about this itch, issue. Save the children. 
let's talk about come out of that. God is love. Go into that. The ecology. Hit them back with a right on. Then you get into a praise of holy, holy. And then you close out. Makes me want to holler. It's 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 uh, tying in several issues. That's why I kind of see a sermon series. But but the, the, the point is not just to. Uh, regurgitate what the issues are. Not even to talk about what a solution is, because he doesn't talk about solutions in any of these. It's a clarion call to not be comfortable in times of challenge. But by simply saying what's going on, it's entitled, it's, it, 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 it's, its purpose is to get you thinking. Because too many times in life, we do get um, bogged down with the everyday that we don't see what's going on. And someone really has to kind of grab you by the collar, sometimes shake you for you to see the things that are going on. And that's what a good sermon ought to do. Um, And again, not just what's going on in the world, but the world is just a group of people. And so what's going on in the world really says what's going on with you, brother. Hey, brother, what's happening? And, um, you know, um, Rob, you know this. um, If I ain't got a joke in a sermon, I ain't got a sermon. (laughs) So um, I kind of see the flying high as kind of the icebreaker. Uh, Hey, let uh, you know. Let's. let's, I know we're talking some some high things here, but let's let's kind of chill for a second and and talk about this, and then come right back into it. Now that I've gotten you comfortable, what about our children? What about the next generation going back to the album cover? What what about them? What are we doing? What world are we leaving them? Are they going to look at us and say, you messed it up? Or are you going to, are they going to look back and say, thank you for giving me something that I can grow with. Mm. And the answer to all of that is really understanding that um, we're not in this thing alone. Um, if all of this is discouraged, you understand this God is love and he still loves you, but that ought to be the love ought to be enough to get you to um, do better because if God loves you, um, let's do the things to show that we love ourselves. Let's do better. Let's start off by being better by really just taking a look again. And if you look, you're going to say mercy, mercy me. And if you've been to a black church, somebody does say mercy, mercy me sometime along the service. Um, and this is just because when we look outside of the door, it's it's rough out here. So I, I think yeah, it's a, it's a sermon series, and 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 um, I think some of the best sermons um, take the Bible and absolutely relate it to the lives of the people. And this is what he did here. He he really related it. Um, sad thing is, um, and. I know this probably more than you, Rob. Um, when 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 your sermon doesn't go over well, you don't you you people will give you the accolades like it did, but then you come back the next week and they're doing the same things that they that you really preached about the week before. Um, so that that that's also kind of the part that shows the sensitivity of Marvin here. 
I well, I really enjoy that because it's just not what I was thinking. Because I, as much as this album is a composite of R&B and soul of the time, but also jazz influence, uh, it, to me, it's equally a, a Jeremiah, right? Uh, coming from uh, the prophet Jeremiah in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, but also uh, the one of the greatest poems in world literature, uh, the Book of Lamentations. And so, yeah, I, I agree with everything. You know, get it, it what's going on. What, what all about what's going on is it's not a question. People sometimes think of it as a question. It's not a question, right? He's telling you what's going on. Brother, I'll tell you what's going on, right? Uh, he's not curious about it, right? You're here to be schooled on what's going on. Um, also, people think that the prophets are there to tell the future, right? Prophets aren't there to, to tell the future. They're not fortune tellers, right? They're there to tell you what's going on, right? Right there in that time. Right. And that's what Marvin's doing. I, I, there, there, this is very uh, prophetic. Okay. So back to Lamentations, a uh, very sad poem um, that's it's, uh, written with a, a Kina meter, which is, it's just a funeral march. Uh, so very sad right from the jump if you're reading it and it's an original language. Um, and it's no good news, all right? It's just, just the saddest, most odd, like kids are dying in the street. Um, women are giving up their babies, just, you know, all the saddest stuff. But in, right in the middle of the poem, you get some sort of message or some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I think it's like chapter three, verse 33, something like super specific. Um, but the verse has something to the effect that you know, God does not like willingly harm those whom he loves or something like that. Like a, a very complicated verse that makes you ask the question, well, does God do things against his own will? Um, but nevertheless, like that's kind of at the heart is that he really does love his people. And therein lies any kind of messages in Lamentations. And God is love of these nine tracks is right in the middle of this record. Right. So right at the very center, what are we all focusing on? Like if you're going to look at the nine tracks written out, potentially on the back cover, right in the middle, you're going to see God is love. So that for him is at the very center and utmost importance of this record. But like you said, it doesn't give answers. Mm. God's love is not the answer because the record, I mean, it could have ended on holy, holy. And we can read it that way, that God's the answer. It doesn't. It ends on inner city blues. And, but then it beautifully goes into, and talking about the song cycle and there being musical motifs, it, there, there is a what's going on reprise. And I think it goes a little bit into like God is love too. So there, there's like a reprise there that brings back the kind of spirituality that's underneath everything but it doesn't end there either because mm -hmm. then it brings back the beat for inner city blues and then it kind of fades out. 
right? So it, it, it it's, it's a very complicated text and it all comes back to Israel's own founding, right? Uh, Jacob wrestles with this unnamed man and uh, hurts his thigh and he says, from now on, your name is Israel, right? Because you fought with God and won, right? And Israel meaning wrestles with God or wrestle with God. And I think that's that's the tension that exists on this record, uh, which is what makes it beautiful and complicated and uh, and deep and prophetic. And yeah, just I think that it, I mean I think that's what gives it longevity. You know, I think this thing has a lot to offer. I mean, I mean, we're talking about an album that we can just look at and just interpret based off. <laughs> the way the track order is. I mean, you know what I mean? There aren't a lot of albums that are kind of open for interpretation that way, or it's fun to play with, you know, you can like decode Beatle album covers, but that's not quite the same thing. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think this is, yeah, I think all the stuff that we've been talking about here is, is why it has such longevity. And have laid their bodies down Yeah, yeah, oh yeah I go to the place where danger awaits me And it's bound to forsake me So stupid-minded So stupid How does this album make you feel? Back in 2014 or 2015, I was in line at the Starbucks that's inside the library at the University of Mississippi. And What's Going On came on not a typical Starbucks track, not a typical coffee house track, even though there's a coffee house mix of the song that's out there. Um, but this was the, the studio version that we know. And I just started crying in line hmm. at Starbucks. I don't even really know why. I don't think I have to know why. It's not the first time I heard the song. I've heard it many times. <laughs> I think everyone just kind of comes up knowing the song somehow um yeah that's kind of how it, that's how that's one way that it can make me feel um it, it, it was very cathartic it wasn't nostalgic or anything but it was, it was very cathartic that can give you some fatigue it's mm. not it's not an album i i've been listening to this album a lot this week i found out that's not the best way to do it it's taxing um, actually to listen to it that often. Um, but, but when I, but when I need it and I know I need it, um, Oh, 
I'm I'm so glad to either put on the turntable. I've got I've got I've got original copy from '71 that's turntable ready, and I've got the CD to keep in the car that's for a good drive, you know. So it's good to have at the ready. It feels like it's something you could prescribe to someone, you know. Mm. You know it, uh, yeah. So that that that's 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 all the ways that it can make me feel. It can be taxing. If, especially if you're in a good place, you know, it can be very taxing, but, but when you need it and it's at the ready and you can go for it and it's there for you, that it's, you know, it's just, it's like good medicine. Yeah. You know? So Makai, real quick before, before Tommy goes, as, as a professor of peace studies, mm-hmm. have you, you know, obviously you can't prescribe it like medication. Have you assigned this album to students of yours? No, I haven't assigned the album. I have played what's going on as students uh, have come into class. And I always tell them, you know, if you want to do music, you know, you, you can write an, you can write a paper because they always have a final paper. Uh, you, you can do a paper on Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. You could probably, it's a three to five page paper. You could probably do the song if you wanted to, but if you want to, you can do the whole album. You know, so I'm always trying to pitch them uh papers to write that i secretly want to be the one to write so tommy how does this album make you feel uh well to put it in context and thank you uh okay for that because that um that level of transparency is very key for how things uh affect us uh it makes me sad now that these songs uh still mean what uh they meant back in 1971 and for me to be three years old then and 53 now is sad and thinking also in the context of who marvin was marvin's life he suffered from um substance issues but um also certainly a portion of mental health we haven't learned in 50 years wars we haven't learned in 50 years just overall (laughs) um i guess how i feel is uh the way marvin ended is where i still am makes me want to holler sometimes um throw up both my hands (laughs) and um it, it comes down to what is it going to take I uh, hate to say, hate to use the word desperation, but have not we seen enough, especially in this information age? Haven't we seen enough of what it takes, uh, of what it means for us to continue on the way that we are and we way that we were? Don't we know better by now? As I was always taught, if you know better, you ought to do better. So it, it kind of makes me sad that the it could mean in. 2021 what it meant in 1971 still when I look at the world, when I look at the world, 
So, Tommy, um, I, we can't thank you enough for doing this. And one of the the key parts of of this podcast and on each episode we do is this podcast started around this idea that Micaiah and I, who uh, would regularly put together end of year best album lists, decided to give our go at trying to make our own version of essentially a top hundred and realizing that as soon as you start trying to put together a list of great albums, you realize you immediately forget one. And we know that we've done that over and over again here. So we like to give every guest an opportunity to tell us their five favorite albums, the five albums that we need to be thinking of for greatest album of all time. And and maybe an album or two that we've missed. Oh, wow. Okay. I give you my top five. Um, cause I had to think about this. I didn't want to think about it until I got on here too. Um, so I'll just go in any kind of order cause I don't really have an order for it. Um, purple rain. Um, that's definitely at the top for me. Um, Stevie wonder songs in the key of life. Um, uh, definitely police synchronicity. That has to be one of the top ones. Um, Maxwell's Urban Hang Suite. Great album. And a, um, uh, I think, Fear of a Black Planet by um, Public Enemy. I wanted to add a honorable mention, the score by the Fugees, who definitely has to be in there. But I know you guys already have that one on the list. Have to have it on the list. we, We don't. Uh, oh wow! Well, here's here's our rule though, is that we're trying not to have like two of the same artists. So if we're gonna have Lauren Hill, do we should we have Miseducation Lauren Hill or should we have Fuji's the score? So I lean Miseducation Lauren Hill. I, I only do I only do the score because well one, um, one is it, a great it, it record. Was groundbreaking. I mean, seriously groundbreaking. Having yeah. um. A lyricist and a singer in the same group doing that kind of really put it out there. Uh, and also Lauren could flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing that. Um, but I think too, um, just having Wyclef on there and, and I mean, all of them, they brought so much to the table, but you're right. Lauren Hill. I mean, who could, who could not include that one? Um, and five is so hard to do. So I'm with you on, on that, but I still think that the introduction of Lauren Hill came through uh, the Fuji's album. And, um, and, and we, we were able to get the miseducation because of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the score. Yeah, I agree. Well, Tommy, we can't thank you enough for doing this. Thanks for being our guest tonight and talking all things, Marvin Gaye. We're going to let you go. And yeah, (laughs) Love you, man. Hey, Mike, Micaiah, thank you so much, brother. Um, it's just I'm, I'm excited about what you guys are doing with this podcast and how you two reconnected or never really disconnected. But uh, congratulations on all the things that you're doing and this being such a powerful um, tool to celebrate music. I really appreciate it. Rob, I'm thinking about what we were talking about in the intro. Now, 
I agree that this is a great number one spot, like pick for the Rolling Stone list. Right. For like specifically for the 2020 list. But the way I've started to see things like this, and by the way, like, as we know, lists are just kind of silly and, and, and partially pointless, but it's also how we rediscover old records. Okay. So, you know, these things do uh, matter to some extent, of course, but for the scope or the stakes in which they matter, pretty minor in the grand scope of things. But I mean, uh, thinking about I, I i've i've started to think of something like like a top five or a top 10 it's just kind of like just like the top tier right so it, it almost doesn't matter if it's like what one through five it almost doesn't matter in what order they appear it's just like yeah those are the top five you can you can swap them around however you want i'm i'm going to agree and for me making this list up on the top of my head it probably would look like what's going on blood on the tracks pet sounds astral weeks blue by joni mitchell you can put those five in any order and i would be like yeah that that works for me i'm i'm good i'm good with that uh but yeah i i think that uh any any list would lose credibility if this were outside of the top 10. I, I'm, I'm very, and this is one, because it's number one for the Rolling Stone list, I'm going to be interested to see when we go to, to start ranking our albums, because we're near the end, and we're going to have to put these 25 albums in some kind of order. So this is the one that I'm kind of the most curious about to see where it lands. I, I know we're Dylan whereabouts Dylan like the Beatles are gonna be on, on our list, you know. Uh but for this one I I wonder where where it's gonna place. Especially since you said up top you know it's not one of your favorite albums, but clearly one of the best. And we try to split the difference on that when we when we make our list. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting in a few weeks from now when we close up season season one, uh, how it stacks up to the list from rock journalism around the world. I think that's the difficulty in doing this process because I'm with you. I think that if you're going for the kind of canonical, what do I think are the five best albums of all time? Or, or, or what are the, what, what, what's that group? If, if I'm, if I'm joining you in that, in, in that experiment of what are the five albums where it really doesn't matter which order they appear that those, those should be some combination of the top five. Mm -hmm. this is one of those five albums for me that right. it's for me, it would be blood on the tracks revolver. What's going on songs I, in the key of life, mm -hmm. uh, purple rain. I, I've I mean, also, I've also just realized that I forgot one. Um, <laughs> so I'll swap astral weeks for London calling. Yeah. Uh, I forgot London. Yeah. Th th this is the podcast. Just, just yeah. uh, being realized and, and lived in, in real time. I yeah. It, <laughs> but, but, but that idea, I think I've London calling would be top 10 for sure. This is, this is an album clearly that's deserving of its, of its place kind of canonically among the all time greats. I think the struggle that you and I have 
And, and I think that we are, as we approach the end of this season, I think we are attempting to try to reconcile the, the, those two instincts, which is it's great, but it's not always something I enjoy listening to. Now that's a statement that's pretty sweeping and can be said about anything like, Hey, it's great, but I don't always enjoy listening to it. Right. With, with few exceptions, like there's never a time that I put on blood on the tracks that I don't stop and listen to the whole thing. Right. Um, there's never a time I turn revolver on where I don't stop and listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a few albums like Joshua tree. If I put Joshua tree on, I'm going to listen to the whole thing start to finish. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of that. And, and so I think that's where that contrast between favorite and greatest comes in just so that we're not simply mimicking some previously released canonical list I do think where it sits in terms of our favorite or most enjoyable for us to listen to has to be a, fe- a feature in that. So I'm, I'm with you. We'll, we'll see where we'll see where this ends up. Yeah, I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, me too. I mean, but I'm that's that's part that's part of the excitement. And because because I I've long put it among my top ten personal favorites as well. Um, cause when I, when I hear someone say like, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of a downer. I don't, I don't listen to it that much to me. What I hear is like, I don't know. Things have been going so well for me that I don't need to introduce that into my life. Like I don't need to be like that interruption, you know? So it, it's a complicated album in that way. And yeah, you know, it's just, do we, rank an album high just based on personal enjoyment is it is that the is that the best is that most fair way to judge an album based on just personal enjoyment you know i i don't know micaiah let's close our episode by asking this question there's only nine tracks on this album what are your three favorites uh this is going to change every time but you ask me right now and how I'm feeling right now. Uh, I think what's going on is just one of the most perfect songs ever recorded. So you have to mention it. Um, I love what's happening, brother. I've mentioned it earlier. Um, it's just something that I, I've always really responded to. Um, and um, just to throw in a bit of a curveball, uh, holy, holy. Just so I don't put everything otherwise everything i would say would be on side one so to get one one thing on side two i really like a holy holy it's a this great kind of meditation that just appears after the jam session that is right on and just before the last like lament that is inner city blues you get this great kind of meditation that's really beautiful placed very well and it's very effective emotionally it gives you a, a great kind of moment in the record to kind of break things up and yeah mm-hmm. yeah so 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 holy holy that, that, that that'll be my my third one so mine are going to be what's going on obviously mm-hmm. uh mercy mercy me of course which which is not only not only do i think it's it, it's it's a great song but i think it functions as the perfect closer to side one. I think the bookends yeah. of what's going on in Mercy Mercy Me as kind of the start and finish of this kind of one consistent. I mean, and that's the beauty of listening to this on vinyl is that like it 
it doesn't end. Like you start what's going on and you don't stop hearing music until you get to the end of mercy, mercy me. Um, but then oh, yeah. right on, I, I love right on. That's, hmm. that's that if, if there's any song I can listen to stand alone on this album, it might be right on. Really? Yeah. It's like the one I'm the most tempted to skip. It's seven and a half minutes long. Mm-hmm. So I I only need it for about half that length. Yeah, it, it's also it's also the funkiest song on the album for me. Yeah, it it it, it kind of deviates a little bit from what's happening on the rest of the album. Yeah, um, I agree. So I think maybe that's why for me I'm like, hey, that's not that's not where I thought this was going. Um. But yeah, I mean, I but I but then again, like now I'm not saying that this is a bad song. I don't think there's a bad song. I don't think there's a weak song on here. But when I'm listening to it, I'm in my feelings. Uh, you right want to on, stay there, right on. And I'm like, I'm like, it's like being the only sober person at a party. You're like, um, uh, <laughs> maybe this isn't for me. And then holy, holy happens. Maybe that's why mm-hmm. I chose holy, holy just then. Ah, well, yeah, so it goes. Well, listener, tell us what you think. You can reach out to us online. We are at you forgot one pod on Twitter at you forgot one on Instagram. And of course you forgot one.com. We look forward to seeing you next week as we talk about our final two albums of the first season of the podcast. As we explore the entire ethos of this podcast, the methodology that has informed the way Micaiah and I approach the idea of an album itself. Is the album a single piece of art or is the album a collection of individual pieces of art? And we're going to have that conversation while looking at Sly and the Family Stone. So join us next week.